Thank you guys so much for leading us in that great time of worship this morning. Uh, what a great song, Praise to the King of Kings. Uh, you know, it just a saying came to me while we were, while we were singing and, and participating that, and it was this. It's an old saying, but it goes like this. If that doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet. My, my brothers and sisters, that music that we just sang today is awesome in exalting the name of Jesus Christ, which is what we're all about. Thank you for participating in that with us. And now let's do this. Let's take our Bibles and open them to Genesis chapter 42. Genesis chapter 42 in our continuation of the study of Joseph and his life and the, the amazing journey that God has him on, which is actually God's plan for his life. We've been learning a lot from Joseph, and we're going to continue in that today. As I was preparing for this, my mind kept going back to some... Um, and I was musing on these quotes, and you might call them proverbs or sayings, that my mom and dad, they were like famous for these little sayings that they would drill down into us as children. But the interesting thing is those things have stuck inside of me. They've actually um, helped form the decisions, the attitudes, and the behaviors of my adult life because they were drilled into me as a child. I did an experiment this week, and I, I actually wrote to all of our staff, our pastoral team, and all the staff of the church, and I said, I asked them this question. Give me the one proverb or quote or saying that your parents drilled deep into your heart and mind when you were a child that is still to this day in your adult life guiding your attitudes, your actions, and your behaviors, and very interesting the sayings that come out. The number one saying that came back to me was this, and it comes straight out of scripture. Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. My mom was famous for that one, but this is one that came that that is what's guiding the person's life today in their adult world because it was drilled into them by their parents. Here's another one, one wrote in and said, be an encourager today. What's interesting is if you look at her life now, it actually guides her life because she is an actual encourager every single day. And this is something that's been planted in her as a young child and she's living it out today. Um, one wrote in and said, you know, my parents did, really didn't instill those kinds of things in me, but we did in our children. And when we were teaching our kids to drive our car, this is the saying we had to them. This car is a killing machine. <laughs> I wish I had that when my kids were learning how to drive. Um, here's one. The people you hang with are the people you will become. Wow. There's, a, there's actually a biblical proverb the bad company corrupts good morals. But that's when you ought to write down parents and you ought to instill that into your children. That's so good. Here's one. Uh, the run, the run it, this is it. Run your railroad and let them run their railroad. In other words, stay in your lane and mind your own business. That's what he got from his dad um, over and over again as he was growing up. Here's a good one. Remember whose you are. In all of your circumstances, don't forget whose you are. That's really good. Um, here's one that we use with our kids that um, somebody else inst had instilled in them. Nothing good happens after midnight. I remember our kids coming in and saying, hey, can we hang out with our friends until one in the morning? And we would always say, no, nothing good happens after midnight. Write that one down. That's a really good one also. Um, here's one. The grass is always greener 
Where you water it. That's what his mom who wrote this did. His mom instilled in him. Here's another one. Bloom where you are planted. I love this next one. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. What a great proverb to live by. Um, One of our pastors actually wrote in and said this. He said, my mom was always saying this. I'm going to give you what for. And he said, I still don't exactly know what that means, but I always knew what she meant. And that was, uh, that was pretty good. You know, there are all kinds of these sayings that um, are instilled in us. And I think it's a really good thing. The, the Bible is full of them, of these proverbs and quotes and quips and different sayings that if instilled in our children when they're young will actually guide them in their adult world. And in this story today, we're going to Uh, muse on Joseph's exaltation and promotion. That's where he is in the story. We've come through all of the pit experiences and all the negative experiences of his life up to this point. Last week we talked about his promotion in Pharaoh's home and his exaltation to power. And what we're going to see in this next section is are some of these sayings actually played out. And there's three of them that I want to direct your attention to. The first one comes out of Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, and it goes like this. You can be sure of this, your sin will find you out. That's another one my mom used to talk to me all about. Phil, don't forget, your sin will always find you out. Here's another one we're going to see in this story today. What goes around comes around, and that comes from the great law of the harvest verse of Galatians chapter six, verse seven, that says, what you sow, you will also reap. Some of those examples of the sowing and reaping in the scriptures are these, James 3.18. If you sow in peace, you will reap in righteousness. Hosea 8.7 says this, sow the wind and you're gonna reap a whirlwind. Galatians 6.8 talks about both sides of the sowing and reaping when it says, sow to please the flesh, and you will reap destruction, but so to please the Spirit, and you will reap eternal life. What we're going to see today in these stories is the results and the consequences of sowing wickedness and of sowing righteousness, because the law of the harvest goes for both those sowing wickedness and for sowing righteousness, and God uses them both to turn the hearts of his people towards him. So let's watch how it plays out. So take your Bibles, go to Genesis 42, verses 1 and 2 with me. Genesis 42, verses 1 and 2. Now, Brad did a great job reading the story. I'm just going to pick some highlights and help us apply these things to our lives as we walk down through it. Look at verse 1 with me. When Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, why are you standing around looking at one another. Now, you got to remember how dysfunctional this family is. So there's a major problem going on. There's a major famine, a major famine, like no one had ever seen before in the land, to the point where they're going to have to go get help because they don't have any food to eat. And the sons are sitting around. And the dad, old dad, has to come alongside of them and say, guys, why are you standing around looking at each other? I've heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive. Otherwise, we're going to die. Now, I'm going to take a little sidestep right now to this and just remind you of something. A lot has happened in their lives and in the dysfunction of their family 
What's been done has been done. You remember all that has happened between them and Joseph and what they did. They hated him so much. They were going to kill him. They decided not to kill him, but to sell him into slavery, wipe their hands of it, come up, concoct this crazy story to go back and tell their dad, Joseph has been killed by an animal. And now for all this time, Jacob has thought that his son, Joseph, is dead. But they're still in Canaan. And Jacob and the boys have been going on with their messed up, dysfunctional lives. The Bible doesn't tell us anything about it, but it also doesn't tell tell us that great things have been happening in their world either. They've been living according to all that they know, not knowing, though, all that has been happening in the chain of events that they set Joseph up to endure and all that Joseph has been enduring for the past 20 years. They actually think he's dead. The Bible's going to tell us that later on. They also have no clue at this point the reaping that is coming because of the sowing that they did so long ago. Some events are about to unfold and spill out all over them that they set up for themselves many years prior. Keep that in your mind. Meanwhile, in Egypt, Joseph doesn't know about them. He's not concerned about them, and he's not thinking about them. He's totally immersed in his current life and his current responsibilities, trying to make the best of the assignment that God has for him in Pharaoh's household. In fact, in chapter 41, verse 51, you can go back there on your own and look at that. You'll see that God made Joseph forget, the Bible says, all of his troubles and everyone in his father's family. In fact, he even named his firstborn child Manasseh, which means God has made me forget. So here's what's going on. You got Jacob and the boys and Canaan. They're suffering right now. You got Joseph exalted and and doing great, actually, at this point in power in Egypt. And Jacob sends his 10 brothers down to Egypt to buy food. Now, I want you to see how This story relates to sowing and reaping. That's what we're going to do the rest of the time. I titled the sermon Payday. We're just going to look at what, we're going to draw principles of the sowing and reaping principles to apply to our own lives, okay? So lean in with me, verse four. Jacob wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, go with them for fear some harm might come to him. So he talks to the 10 brothers and says, you're going to go to Egypt, but... I'm not sending Benjamin because he was afraid. Now, what does Jacob have in his mind right now that happened 20 years ago but feels like it just happened yesterday? What does he have in his mind? You answer it. The death of his son Joseph. Now, we all know he's not dead, but he doesn't because he's been told and shown the blood on the garment that he was killed by a wild animal, and he is now dead. Principle number one. You ready for this? Write this down somewhere. And if you want to, you can go online, and I think the outline is going to be online for you. Principle number one, sow dishonesty, and you will reap distrust. Here's another word you can put in there for dishonesty. Sow disrespect, and you will reap distrust. Sow disobedience, and you will reap distrust. Distrust, distrust, and you will make, if you sow those things into your life, especially into the heart of your mom and dad, kids, I want you to hear this very loud and clear. If you sow those things, dishonesty, disrespect, disobedience, you will make a major withdrawal 
from what I like to call a trust bank. When we were uh, raising our kids, somebody actually told us about this process and, and this principle to be able to try to help your kids understand um, the sowing and reaping benefits or not um, in your life as growing up and, and the relationship you have with your mom and dad. And here's the principle. Um, this, this jar right here, this is my trust bank, let's say, okay? And it's taken me a long time. I've actually, this is my change jar that I just gotta chuck change into, okay? And little by little, over time, it builds up and you actually build up the trust in your trust bank, if this is a trust bank, say, okay? But here's how it goes. Deposits, deposits don't go like this. Deposits go over time. Over time, we're just making deposits into our trust bank. Every time your mom and dad tell you something to do, you do it, and you do it, oh, there's another one, you do it faithfully, and you do it with a, a cheerful heart. And sometimes you do things without even being asked. Well, there's a couple of trust pennies right there, okay? And you're building up your trust account over and over so that when those big times come, when your mom and dad really need to trust in you for something big, you've actually got a bank account, a trust bank account that's built up for them to be able to trust you. But the opposite is true, but different. Because you can make, when you make deposits, you make them little by little, but when you make a withdrawal but through disobedience, disrespect, or dishonesty, when you go to your mom and dad and you know something happens and they know something happens but you don't tell them the truth like these boys did and you come home and you tell your mom and dad this lie, you create this fabricated story and they find out about it, you know what happens? You actually take, and this is how it works. Are you, are you looking, you guys zooming in on this? You actually take a major withdrawal out of your trust bank. That's how it works. Little by little you build up. Can you continue to build back? Absolutely, but it takes a long time to build back the trust that was lost because of the withdrawal that you made through disobedience, dishonor, and disrespect. Sow dishonesty and reap distrust. Hey, listen, kids, you want to be trusted by your mom and dad, don't you? I mean, shake your head or say yes out loud because I know you do. Everyone wants their mom and dad to trust them. You want them to trust you. You want to like, hey, mom and dad, I want to go to the park today. I want to get on my bike and I want to go to the park and I want to play all by yourself, all by myself. Well, that depends, son. It depends, daughter. It depends. on. Let, let's, talk, let's check out your trust account right now and see if I can trust you to do that. Have you been trustworthy in the past so I can trust you that when you say you're going to the park, you're going to go to the park and you're going to play? Hey, mom and dad, I want to, I want to go over to my friend's house and spend the night. Can I do that? Well, it depends. Mom and dad say, it depends on what's your trust level like. If you've been making all kinds of great deposits, then absolutely we can trust you with that. But if your trust bank is empty, then the answer is probably going to be no. I can't trust you with that. Hey, kids, you want to, um, you want to like drive the car someday? You want to like, hey, can I have the keys to the car that you paid for, mom and dad, and that you're, the, you're paying the insurance on, and you're paying the upkeep on, and you're keeping nice. Um, can I take the car out tonight? You, you're gonna want them to say yes, right? Right, and say yes, say it out loud. Say it, look at your mom and dad right now and say, yes, I wanna have the car. That all depends, my friends, on the trust that you have sown into your mom and dad's trust bank that you have. You wanna be trusted with the Benjamins in your life? Well, then you've got to be faithful and responsible with the Josephs in your life. So dishonesty, 
reap distress. Let's go on. Verse 6. Since Joseph was governor of all Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. And when they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. Where have we heard this before? They came and they bowed themselves before Joseph. This is actually the fulfillment of dream number one in chapter 37, verse 7. Let's go there, okay? Look at it with me. Genesis 37, 7. He says, hey, guys, I had a dream, and we were out in the field tying up bundles of grain, and suddenly my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. And this is exactly what has happened. Joseph's in prison one day, one minute. Pharaoh has a dream. Nobody can interpret it. And immediately, the scripture actually says, and immediately Pharaoh sends for him, and immediately they brought him up out of prison, and now he's exalted exactly the way the dream said. His bundle stood up, and then he says to his brothers, your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. Here's principle number two I want you to write down that we come from this passage. So selfishness and you will reap humility. Now you might say, isn't humility a good thing? It absolutely is. Don't I want to reap humility in my life? Yeah, you absolutely do. So you must mean so selflessness, Phil. You said that wrong. You said selfishness. It's supposed to be so selflessness and you'll reap humility. No, that's not what I meant. I said exactly what I meant. So selfishness, we see that in this passage with his brothers, and you will reap humility. Humility is a great thing, but the path of humility in the way that these brothers found it is the hard path that you and I want to try to avoid. Jesus actually said in Matthew 23, 12, those who exalt themselves, which are the brothers here, they will be humbled, and that's what we're seeing in the passage. And those who humble themselves, Joseph, will be exalted which we find here in the story. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Let me tell you something. The root of all selfishness is pride, and Joseph's brothers were full of it. Look back at verse 8 of chapter 37. He tells them all this about the dream, and they, their response is not a humble response. It's a self-exalting response where they say, you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way that he talked about them. Why did they hate him? Because there was, not, there was no way that these guys were going to bow down low and put their face in the dirt in front of their little spoiled brother. There was no way they were going to let themselves do that, ever. And they believed it. And what I want you to see is that Joseph and his brothers are actually illustrating Jesus' very words in Matthew. In this story, the brothers exalted themselves and they are humbled like slaves. They come before begging for food from, from Pharaoh's assistant, which they didn't know was their brother Joseph. Joseph, on the other hand, has spent his whole time humbling himself and not exalting himself and not looking out for himself and not self-protecting. He's been submitting to the powerful hand of God in his life and as a result, after becoming a slave and being in prison, God exalted him to the most powerful position in the world under Pharaoh himself. Now let me just ask you, does that sound like anybody else that you know? Anybody else you've heard about in scripture? <laughs> See, Philippians chapter 2, 
is the example of Jesus Christ, and the Bible says your life ought to mirror that of Jesus Christ. Your attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ, who, though he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held onto as my right as God. But he released it, and the scripture says that he humbled himself, and he became obedient as a slave. He actually became a slave and became obedient even unto death to the plan of his father for the salvation of the world. Therefore, the scripture says, if you humble yourself, you will be exalted. Therefore, the father exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. You remember the brothers here? Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord. We see this very thing happening here. Joseph is actually mirroring Jesus' humility and exaltation, and you and I are called to do the same because if you sow selfishness, you will be humbled and you will reap humility. The scriptures tell us as we go on in the story that Joseph recognized his brothers, but they didn't recognize him. There were a lot of major cultural um, clothing and language differences that you can study on your own. We don't have time to go into, but it was, and it's been 20 years since they've seen each other. And so a lot of changes have happened culturally with Joseph where they wouldn't recognize him and they're in a land they don't understand. But Joseph remembers all of the Hebrew ways and the Hebrew ways don't change much. And so he would look back and he could actually see them and understand who they are and recognize them for who they are, but he, they, couldn't rec- he couldn't rec- they couldn't recognize him. But I want you to know something here as we look into this, that um, this put him at a very powerful advantage over his wicked brothers. So here he is, he knows, they don't know who he is, but he knows who they are, and so verse nine tells us, that Joseph remembered the wicked things that his brothers did to them and sought to take advantage of that and he was going to avenge himself and he was going to get even with them, right? Right? That's how Joseph's mind was working. That was in Joseph's heart at the time. Well, not really. Let's look at verse 9 and see what actually happened. And he remembered the dreams he'd had about them many years before. I wish I was more like Joseph because it's, it's very interesting. Um, he's here in the perfect position to pounce and he resists the temptation to get even by remembering his dreams, remembering what God planted in him. And he knows that this is the fulfillment of the first dream about the brother's Stalks of grain bowing down before his. He's realizing that right now exactly how it happened in the dream. But he also is remembering, because it says he remembered the dream, so he's remembering that there's a second one yet. And the second one included the sun and the moon, mom and dad, and 11 stars. Right now there's only 10 stalks, but 11 stars were coming, so he knew there was a time when Benjamin was going to come and be part of this and bow down before him also. And I want you to notice this. Joseph has actually risen above the 13-year Egyptian nightmare that he's been living in, and he has moved on. He's not 
been pining over the last 20 years and this 20-year delay in realizing the dream that God planted in him at 17 years old. He's living his life out in front of him today, how God gives it to him today and rolls it out today. And he's not focused and fixated on the promise that was given to him because he's just trusting God to bring that and now it is coming to pass. My friends, there are some of us, some of you that are listening to me right now, you need to take a lesson from this. And humble yourself under the hand of God. We've been studying this and working on this because he's got great, big, God-sized, miraculous, supernatural plans for your life, and they will roll out in his time. You just have to wait. That exaltation and that promotion is coming. You just got got to wait for it. Let's look at principle number three that we're going to look at here. Um, So surrender, reap prosperity. Joseph has learned how to surrender under the mighty hand of God, and he is now reaping prosperity. And you're going, ah, here we go, Phil, with this prosperity gospel thing. This has nothing to do with prosperity gospel. It has to do with understanding that God blesses the righteous, understanding that God's hand is with those who follow him and trust him. Look at it for yourself in Jeremiah 17, 7. Who's the blessed person? It says the blessed one is the one who trusts in the Lord and whose confidence is in him. If you want to be blessed by God, God blesses the righteous. If you want to be blessed by God, then trust him in the middle of your circumstance. Your confidence, your hope is in the Lord. And that person whose hope is in the Lord and whose confidence is in the Lord and trusts in the Lord will be like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in the year of drought. Sound like this story right now that we're looking at. And it never fails to bear fruit. The psalmist adds, whatever they do will prosper. Trust in the Lord. Find your confidence and your hope in him and you will be a strong, fruitful tree of righteousness planted by the river of water and nothing in the world that's going on around you will affect your fruit bearing. You will be productive. You will be prosperous. And all the world, like we saw last week, all the world who's in desperate need and are starving and spiritually starving in a spiritual drought and a spiritual famine in our land, which is like never before, my friends. There is such crazy stuff going on in the world. They need to be able to come to those of us whose trust is in the Lord, whose confidence is in the Lord, and be able to come and find refreshment underneath our shade and find satisfaction underneath our shade and find hope and find light and find help and find health underneath our shade. We can come like we talked last week. They can come to us and they can eat of the bread of life and they can drink freely from the the river of life. My friends, uh, if you so surrender to the will of the Lord in your life, no matter how hard it is right now, you will reap prosperity. I'm going to take a break from these principles just to show you another thing that's happening in this story. And I want you to see two things that are simultaneously happening. There is a sowing happening and there is a reaping happening. The brothers are reaping the sins of the past. Write that down somewhere. In this story, the brothers are reaping the sins of their past. 
But currently in the story, in the present time of the story, Joseph is sowing. And he's sowing into the situation and into his relationship with his brothers. And he's sowing mercy and kindness and generosity instead of returning evil for evil, which is what I'm always tempted to do when somebody hurts me. I actually find some comedic irony in the next part of the story in uh, verses 9 through 17. As Joseph accuses his brothers of being spies, verse 9, in verse 10, no way, they say, we're not spies. We're telling you the truth, which was the truth, right? They were men of lies, okay? They were liars, but they were actually telling the truth, a truth that Joseph actually knew. So Joseph knows they're not spies. They know they're not spies, and yet he accuses them of spies, and in verse 17, he goes, nope, you're spies. I think I'm going to throw you in jail. So, falsely accused, thrown into the pit in jail. Does that sound at all familiar? <laughs> and I just want you to know, in this story here, that we see Joseph sowing restraint as his brothers reap a three-day prison sentence. Now, we look at this in context of the story, and we say, big deal, three days. Yeah, because Joseph was in there for 12 years. But here's the deal. We know it's three days. They were thrown into prison. He didn't say, I think I'm going to throw you into jail for three days. He just threw him into jail, accused of spies. And Joseph is now, get this, my friends, he is now in total control. And yet he did not use his power and his position to retaliate against his brothers and avenge himself. You do know that he knows where Canaan is. And he knows where his dad lives and his brother Benjamin live. He knows where the family is and he could have just kept them in prison and sent some messengers with a bunch of grain and brought his family to Egypt to save them and to take care of them. He could have easily done that. And yet he didn't. He could have left those guys in there for 12 years. I think that's what I would have done. I would have said, okay, I was falsely accused because of what you guys did, and I spent 12 years in prison, so 12 years. I'll see you, boys. See how it feels. I want you to just rot down there for a while and see how it feels when you do that kind of thing to somebody else. Right? See, I, <laughs> I wish you guys were here because then I can see your faces and I can see you nodding, yeah, because I'm sure you're like me. In our hearts, we want to get revenge. When people hurt us, we want to hurt them back, and yet none of that is in Joseph's heart. He could have had his brothers executed, and no one would have known the difference. He's Joseph. He's the second in command in the entire world. Nobody even knew at this point. Nobody even knew that these were his brothers. Joseph, their brothers didn't even know. He had all the power in the world to take their life. He could have had them executed and it would have been done. They would have been forgotten about. But Joseph, instead of sowing evil, he sows mercy. Look at verse 18. On the, day, on the third day, Joseph said to them, I am a God-fearing man. If you do as I say, you will live. If you really are honest men, choose one of your brothers to remain in prison. The rest of you may go home with grain for your starving families, but you must bring your youngest brother back to me. And this will prove that you're telling the truth and you will not die. To this they agreed, and you would expect them to be like, woohoo, this is awesome. We're in, man, this is great. We're out of prison. We get to go home. This is all working out, guys. That's not what happened. Interesting, though. But remember, the brothers are reaping 
from their sin of the past. While Joseph is sowing kindness and he's sowing mercy, his brothers are reaping distress. Look at verse 21. This is so interesting to me of the human psyche when it comes to unconfessed sin. Speaking among themselves, they said, clearly we are being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. You'd think they'd be rejoicing they were let out of prison. But they go right to their guilt. We saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why we're in this trouble. Reuben steps in. Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. And now we have to answer for his blood. Here's the fourth principle. Sow unrepentance and you will reap guilt. Sow unrepentance and you will reap guilt. I want to say here that it's possible because they did this thing with Joseph and they came back and they made up this story and it's possible that they just made a pact with each other and said, okay, listen, it's in the past. This thing's done. It's over. Nobody talk about it anymore because we don't want it to accidentally let dad in on what actually happened to Joseph. So they may not have spoken of it for, for 20 years, spoken of this sin, this great sin. But I want to say something to you and I hope you're leaning in and listening. And just because you don't speak of your sin of your past doesn't mean that it's not eating you up alive and the guilt of it is eating you alive because we never forget. So here they are. They're led out of prison to go home and bring Benjamin back and their first response is, Clearly we're being punished because of what we did to Joseph so long ago. Clearly we're guilty and their guilt all comes back and we saw the anguish and we didn't do anything about it and now we brought all this trouble down on ourselves. These boys, I believe, were living with the dread every day that a reckoning was coming, that payday was coming. And let me just say this to you. Please listen. This is so vitally important. Our wrongs, our sins of the past will constantly be before us and they will haunt us until that day that we confess them and we repent of them and we find forgiveness to seek forgiveness from those that we have sinned against, whether it is God or our brothers and sisters in Christ or our brothers and sisters in our family. And we're seeing that with these brothers. They're actually taking, you need to hear this, they're taking their first step. They don't know it, but they're taking their first step in 20 years towards freedom from this guilt because the first thing required to fix a guilty conscience is the admission and confession of sin. That is the first step. Until you humble yourself and confess that you are a sinner and you have sinned against the person, there isn't going to be any relief. It's gonna always be before you. If you don't confess and admit because you won't confess and admit, then you will actually become the victim of the same trouble and distress and sin that you put on those that you sinned against. That's what this story is telling us. That's where the what goes around comes around phrase comes from. You reap what you sow. Edgar Allan Poe's Telltale Heart. Have you ever read that? It speaks of the murderer who kept thinking that he hears the beating heart of his victim when in reality it was his own heart that he was hearing. It was his own heart pounding in his chest. 
It was his own heart convicting him of his own guilt and his own sin. It's payday because of the unconfessed sin. And you will reap guilt. It's payday for the brothers and they really don't even know it. David, King David understood this. In Psalm 51.3 he said, I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. Takes me back to uh, a very potent quote from the Patriot when Benjamin Martin says, I have long feared that my sin would return to visit me and the cost is more than I can bear. Listen, my friends, this story reveals that God at times will visit upon us the sins that we have committed against others in order to wake up our hearts to repentance and admission of guilt. Sometimes the same harm and pain we once visited upon someone else, when it is revisited on us, then we will, like Joseph's brothers, wake up and we will remember what we have done and we will turn, hopefully, and repent of our sin. God will often use this kind of reaping, the guilt, to break us and to soften us. And the question is, will you submit to the humbling and will you repent? Will you go and make things right with those that you have sinned against and admit it? Repent of your sins and do it today. Anywhere along the way, the brothers could have gone to dad. They, they thought Joseph is dead, and so nothing we can do with that, but they could have gone back to dad at any time. They could have first confessed their sin of mistreatment of their brother to God because when you sin against a brother, you sin against God. But they could have gone to their dad at any time and said, Dad, we told you a lie. We sold Joseph into slavery. And that repentance and asking for forgiveness for that sin, you can find release. You can be freed from the guilt, which is what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. Numbers 32, 23 says, you have sinned against the Lord and you can be sure that your sin will find you out, which is what's happening here. Listen, the scriptures say that he who um, covers his sin, like these guys have done, will not prosper. But if you confess it and renounce it, you will find mercy, which is what's happening here. Undeserved mercy. Jesus Christ did that for you. I plead with you to sow repentance into your world, into your life, into your heart. And what you will reap is forgiveness and release from the guilt. My chains are, when we accept Christ, the scripture says, our, our sin falls away from us like chains falling off of us. And we can sing that great song, my chains are gone, I've been set free from all of that. Well, <clears throat> watch what Joseph sows now as he, as he sows generosity, he sowed mercy. And now he's sowing generosity in verse 25. Joseph ordered his servants to fill the men's sacks with grain, but he also gave secret instructions to return each brother's payment at the top of his sack. And he also gave them supplies for their journey home. 
And you might read into this that he's setting them up, but there's no indication of that at all. That's going to come later. He's going to set them up in chapter 44, but not here. I believe that his heart has changed towards the sin committed against him in, so much, in such a way that he has genuine love and concern for his brothers and wanted to be kind and generous and merciful to those who wanted him dead. And I just want to tell you, only God can do that kind of work in a human heart. You remember that he named his son Manasseh, which means God made me forget all my troubles. In other words, Joseph is saying, I'm not going to let the failures of my brothers and their wicked sin against me eat me up and destroy me and dominate every aspect of my life. I'm going to leave all that to God who delivered me out of the pit. And every time I call out my son's name, Manasseh, Manasseh, I'm going to remember that the Lord helped me forget. It's a beautiful picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ does for each one of us. Joseph didn't sow evil for evil. He sowed generosity, and the brothers reaped fear. Verse 26, the brothers loaded their donkeys with grain, headed for home, but when they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get grain for his donkey. He found his money in the top of the sack. Look, he exclaimed to his brothers, my money has returned. It's here in the sack. Then their hearts sank, and trembling, they said to each other, what has God done to us? us. That word tremble is the same word used in 1 Samuel 14 to describe a giant earthquake that happened. Listen, verse 21, they woke up to their guilt. Verse 28, they woke up to God's hand in it all. Romans 12, 19 sums it all up. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, here's how I want you to deal with those who have sinned against you. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. My friends, this is exactly what's happening in this story. Joseph sows mercy and Joseph sows generosity and they're filled with fear and guilt. Interesting. 21, do not become, don't, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I trust that you fully understand and the Lord, by his spirit, will impress and press into you these principles to live by, the sowing and reaping principles to live by that we see illustrated here. Would you do me a favor? Um, I would like to end this way. Wherever you are, would you just please stand up with me? Just stand right where you are, and we're going to pray a final prayer together of the day. I'm calling it our final prayer, and it is a prayer to the Lord. And I want you to pray this with all of your heart, that we would be the kind of people that Joseph is, that we would follow his example, that we would follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read this prayer and pray it from your heart to the Lord together. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, 
Grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. In all of this, Joseph is truly a type of Christ, as should we be. See, at the cross, when Jesus was hanging there, we see the release of the debt of our sin. We see the removal of the punishment that we deserve. And we see the once for all removal of our record and our sins that nailed him there to the cross For our sake, the scripture says, God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We're in some very troubling times. Not only are we in this this worldwide pandemic, but now it seems like we're in a nationwide rage There have been pastors this morning um, texting to each other and trying to encourage and strengthen the hearts of each other as pastors because how do you you speak in a time when we can't gather together like, like we're in right now and in the very awkward time that we are, how do you speak into all that's happening in our nation? A very tragic death occurred. Um, Brother killing a brother. And this morning, I just picked up the scriptures and decided to read in Proverbs 29 today. And this is what it says in verse 18. Where there is ignorance of God... Crime runs wild. But what a wonderful thing it is for a nation to know and keep his laws. Repaying evil for evil? That's not what we're supposed to be sowing. We're supposed to follow the example of Jesus Christ and though He was beaten and he was falsely accused and he was punished and he was killed, murdered at the hands of wicked men, did not retaliate but instead offered forgiveness and offered mercy and grace and love. And my friends, that's who we are as people of Jesus Christ. We're the light of the world because Jesus is in us. We're the salt of the earth because Jesus is in us. And it falls to us in the middle of this crisis that we find ourselves in, worldwide and nationwide, to stand up and sow into our situation love and grace and mercy and a hope everlasting through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look for any and every opportunity to share Jesus with someone and to share the hope that is in you because of the work Jesus Christ has done. They need us. The world needs us 
Because we have Jesus. Because the only thing that's going to fix our world is Jesus Christ. And I don't know if the end is coming. I don't know if we're getting close to the rapture. It seems like it. And if that's the case, my friends, millions of people need to find Jesus in a hurry. So let's go out into our world and sow righteousness and peace. And the Lord will use you in magnificent ways in ways you can't even ask or imagine because of the plans he has for you. My Father, I pray that you will strengthen my brothers and sisters now and you'll strengthen them out in their world, that you'll keep them safe, put a hedge of protection around them until we can gather again together. In Jesus' powerful name, I pray this. Amen. God bless you, my friends. I love you. for joining us for our worship service online today. Our hope is that the worship and teaching has stirred your affections for Jesus Christ and has inspired you to love God, love others, and influence our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you made a spiritual decision today or if you just want prayer with somebody, would you click on our connection card link and there you can find the help that you need. Also, we encourage you if you haven't already, download our church app from the App Store today so that you can connect with us in that way and the many different tools that it offers. As always, our website offers a host of opportunities and resources for you, and you can find that at fbcalcar.org. Hey, thank you again for joining us today. We'll see you right back here next week. See ya.